I often tell people like I, I love the solar business for for a number of reasons. One is because it's a it's a giant macroeconomic problem, not just an engineering and construction problem. The other is you have to partner really well. This is the Contractors Corner podcast series from Solar Power World. Hello, everyone. This is Kelsey with Solar Power World magazine. I'm here today with Burns and McDonnell. They are based in Kansas City. Um, and they are an EPC for the utility scale market. I'm here today with Adam Bernardi, Renewable EPC Sales and Commercial Strategy Leader, and Dalton Rudell, Renewable Development Engineer with Burns and McDonald. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. So let's start off. Um, if you could tell me how your company stands out from competitors in the utility EPC space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you know, obviously, it's uh, it, it's a very big market. It continues to grow in the in the number of opportunities. Um, Burns and McDonald, Burns and Mac, as we refer to it, has been in the power business for over a hundred years. Um, and we started our roots as an engineering company, um, and and that is has been the big differentiator for us in solar. Right? Is um, you know, solar sites uh, continue to get more complicated. We're moving away from just very square pieces of flat farmland that people are building solar in. We just recently did a job in Oregon, uh, effectively on the side of a mountain, and and so that requires you know the, the the engineering thought process and expertise to really optimize these projects to achieve our clients' goals, whether it be capacity or or energy. Um, you know, it was about ten years ago that we bolted on the the self perform. Uh, capabilities that, that really kind of accelerated our growth into the EPC portion of solar. So we were always there as a as an engineer. And so we've taken, you know, the 15 years of engineering experience we had in solar and over the last 10 years built that to be a fully integrated EPC contractor, which separates us from uh, maybe more of the general contractors that you see that don't have that engineering capabilities or expertise within their four walls. Okay, got it. Yeah, I that's an interesting point that it maybe used to be easier when you had just these square flat plots of land and now you've got to figure out new technology to make it work elsewhere. Yeah, you know, everybody has the perception that solar is easy, right? I mean, we always joke that on the surface, we're just putting some sticks in the ground and setting some glass on top of it. But, you know, Dalton can can talk to the optimization that, that we go through on a day in, day out basis um, to make these projects come to reality. Yeah, I mean, uh, you kind of alluded to it, Adam, but ultimately, right, solar solar comes down to the installation of of hundreds of thousands of widgets, right, and figuring out the the best combination of widgets and uh, a to reduce the quantity and and b to reduce the uh, install efficiencies, right, um, ends up leading to to the best product that can be built for for a client. So tell me. How has the IRA changed the way that you do business? I know it's changed a lot about the industry. How, how does it impact your day to day? Yeah, I mean, you know, the IRA obviously was a was a monumental piece of of legislation uh, that was passed. I think the the clean energy community in general, not just solar, was obviously very excited. Continues to be excited um, about what that means for uh, the future of of projects. The way that owners are able to take advantage, um, you know, of those. I think the one thing that is that sometimes gets lost is the nuance of the IRA relative to now the what contractors um, have to do contractors like us right so before 
Um, you know, there was the ITC really for solar and the PTC for wind, and those had certain step-down criteria um, that, you know, depending on the year, so long as you quote-unquote started construction, uh, and I always have to remind people that that definition was made by accountants, not by engineers and construction professionals, so there was nuances there, um, you know, you got the, the those credits. Now that they have implemented the, the, the thought behind um, having to pay at or above a prevailing wage and the apprenticeship requirements, um, it, it has really brought us into kind of that that mucky water. So, you know, I think in general, um, the industry is still figuring out, right, where the line is between um, how contractors report that information, how we define prevailing wage. Um, you know, it, it seems like every project we talk about, right, we learn a little bit more about what what um, it really means to, to do those activities. So um, it hasn't necessarily made it more complicated. Uh, but it certainly made us have to have to have more thought in terms of the words we use in contracts um, and the discussions that we have with owners regarding our piece uh, uh, of this legislation that we never had to think about, you know, up until the beginning of this year. How has it been navigating the apprenticeship and prevailing wage pieces? Um, what has Burns and Mac done to stand up your apprenticeship requirements? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, I think there's kind of two sides to it, right? There's the the open shop or or merit shop uh, labor side, and then there's the the union labor side, right? And um, you know, we actually when this when these rules first came out, we took a look at at the union work that we were doing to understand how it would impact uh, how we were executing jobs with with union labor. Um, and to our surprise, we were we were meeting the apprenticeship ratios, and quite honestly, um, very rarely were we not paying above prevailing wage. Um, now, then, on on the open shop side or the merit shop side, that's where it it's posed a, a more of a challenge, right? Uh, there are not uh, you know widely accepted uh, apprenticeship programs uh, that merit shop contractors send uh, craft labor through, so you know, obviously have to either find those apprenticeship programs or or work through the Department of Labor to stand up, uh, you know, your own certified apprenticeship uh, programs. Um, but then, you know, the wage piece, I think, was is still holding true to the same thing, you know, to the same function that we we found on the on the union side that primarily speaking, the wages were still uh, above prevailing wage. Yeah, I think the you know, the difficulty really comes in the reporting aspect mm -hmm. and the definition of it, right? I mean, I think we can all agree, you know, uh, a gallon of gas costs more today than than it did a, a year ago. Um, our raises, regardless of what you're doing, are probably higher than they were, than they have been. In inflation is real, right? So in, in that regard, it has been somewhat helpful in terms of the wage requirements. The difficulty becomes, I think, for the contractors is really the how we report on them, how we define them, the frequency at which we report on them. Those are the nuances that that you know we continue to have discussions with with owners on, and I don't think that we are uh, alone in that bucket. Um, I'm, we hear from other contractors that we're all kind of facing uh, similar uh, opportunities when we go to execute solar work now. Yeah, I mean, I think that that the IRA is is ultimately right so new to us that um, you know I, I don't think there's even been a ruling on the first project to uh, get its tax credit that the IRS has reviewed right the data. So the you know, just the lack of knowledge on what the IRS is going to be looking for in that data set 
I think is what gives most contractors uh, the biggest heartburn um, as we endeavor down this down this path. Yeah, the next tax season might be a little wild for all parties. <laughs> has the potential. Yes. It has the potential too. Yep. Yeah. Okay. What is one way you've cut soft costs at your company through software or other improvements? Yeah, great question. Um, so <clears throat> go back to Adam's first comment, you know, uh, Burns and McDonald was an engineering company first. Um, so now that we've added on the construction aspect, you know, we pride ourselves in in developing tools that ultimately support construction and help them reduce the efficiencies uh, or I should say gain efficiencies in the field or, or reduce right man hours associated with installing each widget. Um, secondarily, uh, now that we've added the construction function, you know, it, it allows for a complete feedback loop where our construction professionals sit with our engineers and help implement um, things that, that could have been improved in previous experiences into the engineering design uh, on future jobs. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. You know, maybe another example that I would use is training has been a big focus of ours. You know, even pre-IRA, um, right, we've, we felt the need to be able to partner with the craft resources. I'll just use unions as an example, to going into those union halls and bringing the equipment that they're going to be putting together, you know, months ahead of mobilization. So that way we could not only identify some of the craft that would be working on our job, but also provide them some training and some hands-on experience. You know, we almost think of it, um, you know, like a, like a sports game. Right, we want to be able to practice as much as we can before we hit the field and uh, are ready for game time. Okay, and is that usually through hands-on training or yep. online stuff? Yeah, hands-on. It's mainly hands-on. I mean, you know, for you know, to Dalton's point, the 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 online training, right? When you're when you're talking about physical craft labor, sometimes doesn't necessarily um, have the retention that we're looking for. So I think what what we would say is the hands-on is really what we're looking for. Yeah. You know, and then and kind of maybe the last last thing that that we've done is put as much technology as we can into the equipment that, you know, we're using to build these. Right. Whether it's skid steers or dozers or forklifts. Right. Anything that we can GPS enable um, that helps uh, have a data set right in the in the cab for the individual running that piece of machinery to a know exactly where they're going um, or directing them where to go and b you know, what, what piece of equipment or what widget, right. They're supposed to have on the forks and, and where that's going. Right. Uh, has definitely helped improve, uh, improve costs. We'll be right back. This edition of the contractors corner podcast is brought to you by Scanafly, the only drone based solar design software. Learn more about Scanafly at scanafly.com. Now back to the show. What hardware technology improvements have made installations easier, whether it's mounting components or inverters, panels? Um, what what tech has really improved your workflow? Yeah, I, I think that, um, at least from where I sit, the first one that I think the industry has a lot of excitement over is uh, the terrain following trackers. Um, you know, Adam alluded to it kind of early on that sites are not flat and they're not square anymore. And so, um, you know, the industry has realized to be to be good stewards of of the environment, we need to, you know, try and limit the amount of earth movement that we're doing. And and 
So ultimately we've created these uh, trackers that used to have to, you know, were 300, 400 feet long. They had to be, you know, basically straight on a string line. And, uh, and they've added in the flexibility within their systems to now follow the natural terrain, right. And not affect uh, drainage paths that, that, you know, have existed for a long time. Um, So that's, that's one big thing that I think the industry is, is moving towards and, and uh, definitely helping um, ease the contractor's life. Yeah, I think. And then, uh, you know, the next big, big piece of equipment um, on modules is, um, you know, they seem to continue to get bigger, right? I mean, we are now looking at jobs that are upwards of 650 watt. I think the other day I saw a 700 watt module come across uh, my desk. Um, And so maybe it doesn't necessarily make it bigger or or faster for us, but it's certainly, you know, on paper has some potential benefits for owners in terms of installing less widgets. Um, so, you know, one thing that that we try to incorporate into our solar business um, is collaboration, right? I, I often tell people like, I, I love the solar business for, for a number of reasons. One is because it's a it's a giant macroeconomic problem, not just an engineering and construction problem. The other is you have to partner really well. Um, and we spend a lot of time with our OEM partners trying to understand what they're doing in the technology space, right? Because as modules get bitter, bigger, that means they're going to come to site differently than maybe what the, the last project is that we did. And we want to understand how they're shipped so we can get them installed, um, un, un, uncrated, installed as efficiently as possible. Um, you know, First Solar uh, is rolling out their Series 7 mod. You know, if you look at, you know, kind of what they're doing and some of the, the unpackaging, I think, uh, there's there's news of that they would even have a reusable crate where we would get it unpacked and send it back um, to them. So it's it's technology advances like that um, that maybe not aren't necessarily things that we're doing, but the industry is doing um, that that we're trying to to take advantage of. You know, one thing that we always try and do is send goes with training, send our crews to these OEM sandboxes so they can see firsthand before it gets to the field what some of this new technology and new equipment looks like. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Adam. Right, I think I think one thing Burns McDonald's done a, a really good job of, and and prides themselves on, is is developing the relationships with the OEMs and making sure that there's a constant feedback loop of information, whether whether that's from the contractor, right, going back to you know the the product specialists or the product specialists feeding the contractors ideas and and getting their feedback on uh, where they should head next. Yeah, those modules, man, they're <laughs> getting so big. Um, and just interesting that you touch on the logistics of actually getting them off a truck, unpacking. How can you do that as fast as possible? Yeah, I mean, it speaks to, again, like, you know, solar on its surface seems easy, right? But then when you talk about what it takes to get these projects built, it's not just engineers, it's not just construction, right? I mean, you've got to think about exactly that. Where where do I put the modules in the field? How do I do it efficiently, right? Because seconds matter, minutes matter. So it, it, it is almost, a, in my opinion, you know, an industry for all types of people, whether you have ADHD like me and can barely sit still, or you are extremely detail oriented and care about that one bolt that is super critical from the tracker to the mod to get it hooked up. So, you know, they, they don't rattle or, or come undone. Okay. So tell me both of you, what's your view of the future of the U S solar and storage industry? 
you know, I hate to to use a a, a pun, but I think the future is very bright, um, mainly because um, of you know the opportunities and the country's you know thirst, hunger for clean energy projects. Right, the Facebooks, Microsofts, Netflix of the world, you know, they they want to go green, um, and they have the the investment and the drive to do so. Data centers are are continuing to pop up. They want to be able to claim they've got clean energy. So I think that the future and the opportunity is extremely bright um, for the market, but that doesn't mean it doesn't come without challenges. You know, it's probably every week we hear about a new component, right? That That is the long pole in the tent or the long lead item preventing projects from, from getting done, right? I mean, right now we're in a situation where high voltage circuit breakers are upwards of, you know, 200 weeks because of the demand for clean energy projects, the utility infrastructure it takes to uh, to get that done. Um, obviously, with all the, the infrastructure work going on there, there are labor challenges. Um, but, you know, almost like they say in Jurassic Park, where life finds a way, I think the industry will find a way uh, to continue to to accelerate its growth. And it wouldn't surprise me, you know, three years from now, if we're talking about a, a 50 gigawatt a year market. Yeah, I, uh, I 100% agree with you, Adam, right? I think that, um, you know, there is a path forward to uh, a lot of solar in the in the very near future. Um, you know, I think the one thing that we will continue to to be challenged with though is, is labor, right? I mean, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of pieces to the IRA and it, it not just right specific to, to solar, but, uh, craft labor, um, you know, is being gobbled up by, you know, the, the want for domestic manufacturing as well. And so, um, you know, I think as we go through this, at least for Burns and Mac specifically, right, we're going to have to just be diligent on, on the practices we use to make sure we're, um, you know, attracting the right craft labor and, and, and making sure they get trained appropriately uh, before putting them out in the field. Yeah. And then, you know, on the storage side, um, it, it's interesting to watch, you know, that right now, you know, prices for batteries seem to be in decline. Interesting, just given, you know, where we are from an inflation perspective, where everything else is is increasing, yet that piece of equipment right now seems to be on the decline, which I think is, is going to make it very attractive to see, you know, more and more hybrid plants, solar plus storage, wind plus storage, adding storage to existing solar, um, you know, because the the cost of that equipment right is almost 80 percent of the total installed cost so if you think about you know labor engineering some other you know bop equipment being the remainder of it right if if the majority of it is decreasing it almost offsets those inflationary trends um i think you pair that with uh with FERC order 2023 that that was passed recently that that i think is going to make it easier for for owners to add storage um, early in the interconnection process that, you know, I think we will continue to see, you know, increased opportunities for those projects as well. Yeah, those are all promising signals for sure. All right, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate all your insight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. This has been another edition of Contractors Corner. Join us each month as I talk to solar contractors across the country. Thanks for listening to the Solar Power World podcast. Visit us online at solarpowerworldonline.com for more great featured content and breaking solar news. See you back here next month.